here I am going to talk about, you know, leadership and, and stuff. And the whole leadership is sick. <laughs> I don't know if it's coincidence or uh, they didn't want to come or what was going on or what, you know what I mean? They all started to get a little bit of colds and sicknesses and all that and, and uh, unbelievable. So uh, it's, it's amazing how different things come up. Um, in our lives and interesting things come but the Lord is good and we're thankful for God and we do need to pray that that God will just continue to work and sustain us uh, through this uh, winter season it's going to be an interesting winter season and so I'm excited to see how God blesses most of you <clears throat> have heard of Billy Graham right anybody not hear of Billy Graham you know but Billy Graham is an interesting uh, character. I love I love this story. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, The Early Years of Billy Graham. Have you ever seen that movie? That's, a, that's an excellent little movie, The Early Years of Billy Graham. You know, he wanted to be a baseball player. And uh, he didn't become a baseball player, and God called him into uh, preaching. And he went to the Bob Jones Academy. And uh, <laughs> he didn't last at Bob Jones too long. And it was interesting that he was there and uh, had a little altercation with Bob Jones, Dr. Bob. You know, you don't mess with Dr. Bob. And then, um, and then he ended up somewhere else. And, you know, and you know the story. You remember the year that he started out? He was really coming around and things were going. Some things he started to do around the time in his mid-20s. Well, I'll give it to you. 1945. Now, you say, why is that important? Well, how many of you heard of Chuck Templeton? They know him. He would preach with Billy Graham. He was around that time. He was named, listen to this, by an evangelical magazine as the best used of God, Chuck Templeton. He was preaching to thousands. He was leading people to Christ like crazy. And, and he was doing amazing things right around the time Billy Graham was doing his things. And then there was another guy, and I can relate to this guy. How many of you heard of Bron Clifford? Anybody hear him? He was tall and handsome. I mean, I relate exactly. Not one amen, but he is tall and handsome. I mean, but interesting about this guy, Bron Clifford, he was the most influential preacher during Billy Graham's years, in the early years. Thousands, people used to line up in, in, in rows of 10 and 12 to go and see. Thousands of people would go and hear this guy preach. He influenced more leaders, more people for Christ than anyone of his time. And they said this, <clears throat> and of anyone in America of his time. Chuck Templeton lasted five years. Five years later, he denied that he even believed in Jesus Christ. Bron Clifford, listen to this, the man that influenced more, that was considered influenced more people of America for Christ, nine years later, died in a motel of cirrhosis of the liver because he was an alcoholic. He left his family. He left everything and died unwept, unsung, unhonored. Does that blow your mind? I mean, how many of you, I mean, let's, you know, this is a family meeting here today. How many of you know people 
we can all raise our hands to this, who, who start out on fire for God. I mean, just amazing. You see a change in their lives. I mean, absolutely amazing for God. And right now, as we speak, sad to say, they're not even walking with God or can care less about God. I think we can all say we know people like that. But to know a preacher like that, and to know somebody where thousands of people would come and line up and hear him preach the gospel, die in a motel by himself without his family nine years later? These are amazing things. And we're seeing it more and more now. Did you know during the very COVID crisis, listen to this, close to 40% of ministers have wanted to quit. They're tired of it. They're tired of the sickness. They're tired of the politics. They're tired of this. They're tired of that. They're, they're done. They don't want any more. They just want to go on with their lives. So they were interviewing one, and uh, the first Christmas, not in church. And they were, they were so happy. Wow, I'm out of church, everything. All oh, this is it. You know, I'm free now. And all. Unbelievable what they're thinking. We're seeing it more and more now than ever before. And so you say, how does this happen? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of things here, and then we're going to go through the text. Don't worry, we'll get there in two hours. But listen to some of the things here. We'll get in the Bible soon here. Don't worry, we'll get a little amen here. But look at some of these things here, and really, what happens to these leaders? What happens to these people in our lives? What happens? Well, the first thing is, they start to feel invincible. Like, like nothing can touch them, that, 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 that they're okay, that they're secure, that it doesn't matter how they lead, they're fine. They just continue to live their own lives, so they start to get this invincibility, you know, they think they're okay. They're paralyzed by fear. Let me tell you, that's the, that's the, the arrogance is not there, they have no confidence at all. And so they're scared to make any any decisions at all because as soon as they do, criticism is going to come and all that. And so they're paralyzed by fear. Here's another one. They fail to grow. And they're not learning. Do you know when I first started pastoring, I never sent a text message? You know why? Some of you younger people can't understand this, but there weren't cell phones like they are now back, back then. You know, so you didn't send text messages. Now I'm glued to the thing. Sometimes I want to throw the thing through the wall. You know what I mean? I mean, you had to send a text message here, a text message there. But it's a totally different life. Imagine if I said, you know what? I can't. I said, no technology. I hate technology. I'm not going to do it. And we just fail to grow. We got to grow. We got to continue to grow. Look at this next thing. They've sensed, they feel a sense of entitlement. They start to believe, you know what? People owe me. I'm a leader. I sacrifice. People owe me. And they ought to live for me. And the flip side of this is they, they have a sense of victimization. They think they feel sorry for themselves. You know, nobody, nobody's there for me. I'm all alone. I'm the only one that lives for Jesus. I'm the only one. that. And all of a sudden they start to feel sorry for themselves. And when these things happen in our lives, we are ready for a fall. We are ready to go down that path that God doesn't want us to go down. When we think that we are invincible, when we're paralyzed by fear, when we fail to grow and we have this sense of entitlement or we feel like the victim of everything, watch out because a fall is coming and we can learn. Now, now here's, here's what's amazing because uh, when we talk about leaders, I'm not just talking about pastors. We're all leaders, by the way. We're all leaders. Whether, whether you have a position or not, people are watching your life. You're a leader. 
whether you're a high rank or a low rank or whatever it may be, you're a leader. You're a leader. You're leading other people. And so this is all for us. Now, let's go to Deuteronomy 17. I want to show you this. This is an amazing passage of what God required as we begin our series on the kings and what we can learn about the kings of the Old Testament. It's an exciting study. I'm excited about it. But look at Deuteronomy chapter 17 here. Deuteronomy, where you stopped reading your Bible last year. Deuteronomy um, is a great, great passage of Scripture. And uh, you look at this here, and he goes like this. He goes, when you enter into the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me. And if you, you've studied the Old Testament, you know that in the beginning, God said to them, I am your king. And you will have judges, you will have priests that will guide you, but I'm the king. I am the king. But that wasn't good enough for them. They wanted a visible king. They wanted one they could see. They wanted one. So so they, they want a king. And, he, and, and the Lord knows that. He, he allows it. It wasn't like that he said, no, you shouldn't. He, he allowed it to happen. And he talks about it in Deuteronomy. But let's fast forward for a moment to 1 Samuel. Look at this here. And then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and look what happens here. They tell him three things no leader ever wants to hear. The first one, what does it say? You're an old man. And let's be honest, we're growing old. Right? I'm not as old as Chalmer. I may never get as old as Chalmer. Most of you won't get as old as Chalmer. Uh, but he woke up this morning and Chalmer, Chalmer's not moving around. I mean, as much as he used to be able to move around, he's getting, he's a young 92. Man, I got to double my life for that. But let me tell you something. We get to a point where people look at us and say, you know what? You're too old to be doing this. There was a pastor that went for a church, a friend of mine, he went for a church in Virginia and they said, you know what we tell people your age to do? And he was only in his young 60s. He goes, you know what we tell people your age to do? Go to Walmart and be a greeter. Don't be a pastor. You're too old. Can you imagine hearing that? I mean, how would you like to hear that? You've grown old. How would you like to hear the second thing? Your sons don't walk in their ways. I mean, talk about discouraging. Now, you know, Samuel is getting old, and now he looks at his sons that were given to bribery, given to money, perverting justice. They weren't walking in the ways of Samuel. It's amazing. Eli was the same thing. His sons weren't walking in the same way. See, your son is not going to be our king, believe me. And, and, and you're an old. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to appoint a king for us. Go and do it. it says in Deuteronomy, go and do it. Now look at verse 6. This is amazing. But this thing was to please in, in the sight of Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. Can you imagine that prayer? Lord, I'm, I'm old. My kids aren't walking with you like I wish they would. I, I love you, but my kids don't love you. I, 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 they want this king. It's really, they want a king. They, they, they must have had their devotions in Deuteronomy, Lord. I don't know what's going on. They know about the king. They want a king. What should we do? I love the Lord's response. He says, give them a king. They're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. You know, sometimes we take it so personal when people don't take our advice. 
But yet, when they don't, it, it's okay. And but the thing that bothers us the most is when they're not following the law. It's it's we shouldn't take that. This is between them and God. And so he goes, don't 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 take this personal. It's between me and them. But but look at this, verse nine. He says, listen to their voice, but you should warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king. Now, if I was to ask you that right now, what is the procedure of the king? All of you are going to answer that, right? You all know it, amen? Right? What is this procedure of the king? They should have known. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 17, we're going to go back to there. What is the procedure of the king? But before I even say the procedure of the king, let me ask you this question. What do you look for in a leader? I was talking to Jesse this morning. I said, give me three things you would like in a president. Yeah, you could tell me. What do you guys, somebody mentioned. What, if you had just three things to look for in a leader, what would they be? A man of his word. A man of his word. Well, Jesse said the same thing. A man of his word. Lead by example. Lead by example. Very good. What's the third thing? What do you think? If you had three things, three things, that's all you had, what would you look for in a leader? Man of his word. An example. What else? Loves God. Oh, you got to throw in that we're in church, right? You, know, you got to throw that in there, huh? Somebody's got to throw a little spiritual stuff in there. Get it on there. It's amazing that we don't look at what God looks at. It's amazing how much we look at credentials and not character. It's amazing how much we're, we're in awe of people who have these amazing externals, but they have no heart for God. And we want them because they're the ones. They're the, they're the great ones. They're the ones that are going to be. They're the, they're, they're the ones that can handle it. They're the ones that they have the externals, but they don't have the heart. Now look what he says here. Here's what you got to do. Here's the procedure. Notice this in the verses here. He's going to go right through it. He's going to say, let God decide. You shall surely set a king over you whom, watch this, the Lord your God chooses. This must be God's man. This must be God's choice. And I praise God that God does not look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. We'd be in big trouble. Remember when David was, was going to get picked and Samuel knew for sure. One of David's brothers walked in, handsome, just like me, walks right in there. And it's, it's David. And this is it. And, and, and no, 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 it's not it, Samuel. Keep looking. Another one walks in and, oh, that's got to be it. This is it. No, nope, no, nope, that's not it. Another one walks in. Oh, that's got to be it. No, nope, it's not it. You're missing it, Samuel. You're looking at externals. God looks at the very heart. Here comes this rugged, stinky kid walks in. Named David. That's the one I want. Now, did David walk into the room saying, you know what? I'm going to be God's king. I'm the one. I am the... David said, who am I? Moses looked at God and said, who am I? Gideon. God came to Gideon. Gideon. He said, Gideon, you're old man of valor. Go there. Go there. You're a great... Gideon goes, me? God chooses not like we choose. You say, but how does he choose now? How do we know that it's, it's, it's God? Well, we need a lot of prayers and we need a lot of looking at the scripture of what matters to God. And when we know what matters to God and a lot of prayer, God will work through that and we'll know who's God's choice. And let me just tell you, if God puts you in a position of leadership, it's because God did it. 
And we rejoice in that. And so looking at it, it's God chooses. And look at the second qualification. You must not put a foreigner over yourselves. You say, why is that important? Well, the reason is this. A foreigner would not know God's laws. A foreigner wouldn't know God or follow God. A foreigner would put other things, other laws in that the people would have to follow. So you make sure that this is a follower of the Lord. It's amazing how now we get so upset at people who are in leadership who don't follow God because they put policies in that have nothing to do with God. What do we expect? I'll never forget when COVID first hit and I had to get on a telephone call, a conference call with, with the governor of Colorado. 700 of us faith leaders. And here we are in this conference call, and I'm thinking to myself, holy smokes. Here's 700 leaders following somebody who wants nothing to really do with God, waiting to find out what he says we can do in the church. Something's wrong with that, don't you think? Something is a little bit wrong with that. And yet we get so upset. We're like, oh, I can't believe that he believes that. Does that. What do you expect? That's why he says, you shall not put a foreign, to his credit, government Paul, he did a good job with that. I don't know how he did, but he did a pretty good job with that. But let me just tell you, don't put a foreigner over yourselves. You got to get somebody who follows God. So this got to be God's man. God chooses the man. It's not by externals. He's looking at the heart. He has principles for this. And it's got to be somebody who follows the Lord. But there's traps that each one of us fall into that we have to be careful about when we're leading others and people are looking at our example. Notice these traps. They're right there. The pitfalls that come with leadership. The first thing is the abuse of power. Moreover, he shall not multiply horses. Stop there. I hate horses. I, I don't like them. You ever ride a horse? How many of you guys have ridden a horse? Why? I rode a horse, the dumb thing bit me. I don't like horses. Maybe I was too heavy for the thing. I don't know what, but it, I get on it, turned around and bit my leg. I'm like, what is this thing? I want to, you know, I didn't want to kick it too much. You shouldn't multiply horses. What does that mean? Not like us to multiply and ride nice horses and have some fun. Multiply horses meant more power. And the more military power they got, the more they could flaunt their military power. And he's saying, don't go that route. And here's what happens with people who are insecure. They get a little position of power and then they abuse those who are under them. It's kind of like a game to them because now they have power over somebody and now they can start doing things that they shouldn't be doing. That's a sad place to be, by the way. I've seen it over and over again. I've seen, I've seen people get into a position of power and all of a sudden use and abuse their power to manipulate and to hurt people. That is sad. That's not God's will. And he says, don't you dare go and multiply those horses and get more military power and don't you even think of going back to Egypt to get more military power because the Lord said, you will never go again that way. Don't do it. And yet we see king after king do what? Get the power. And King Uzziah, I can't wait to preach on him. When he goes into the temple and the priests come up to him and say to him, what are you doing in the temple? This is not for you. And he goes, who are you, who are you, who are you talking to? Do you know who I am? I'm the king. 
Wow. The abuse of power. It is so true, this adage, that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts what? Absolutely. He says, don't you dare go and try to flaunt yourself and with your insecurities get what you want that isn't what God wants. Don't you use your power in a way that doesn't please the Lord. Look at the next thing here, multiplying wives. Now, if you read the Old Testament, you notice that they had multiple wives. Isn't that, isn't that kind of weird? You know, when you think about it a lot of times, you know, some of them had 16 wives. Did you know that? 16? Four richer, four poorer, four better, four worse. I mean... You guys with me on that one? You get it? <laughs> is that a bad one or one? Come on, that was a good one. That was a, probably not my joke book. I remember, I remember Abigail, she, she probably doesn't remember this when she was younger. She says, Mommy, I'm going to marry his daddy. I'm going to marry him. And uh, she goes, you can't marry him because he's already married. Well, in the Old Testament, they had more than one wife. <laughs> Hard to explain those things, right? God never wanted it to be that way. For some reason, we read it and it's happened and it's always destroyed these kings when they've done it. But let me just tell you something about a wife. Look what happens when he's multiplying with ungodly women. Look what happens. The problem isn't multiple wives. The next problem is this. His heart turns what? Away. And I, I tell my sons this over and over again. They're going to hate me. I tell them that she will make you or she will break you, whoever you marry. She will make you or she will break you. So be careful. And I tell them what you want is you want someone to encourage your walk with God and enhance your walk with God. If you don't have that, watch out. She will make you, but you say, where is that in the Bible? Well, look at this right here. An excellent wife is a crown of her husband. She, she makes him, she, she makes him shine. She, she's the crown there, but one that causes shame is like what? Rottenness to his bones. It's like a painful disease that you, you can't get rid of that. You, that it's nagging in your, in your life because you're never going to be what God wants you to be because she is there doing the things that she shouldn't be doing. I thank God tomorrow 19 years with an excellent wife. I mean, excellent wife. I can't, I can't talk more about her. Her parents, a little bit. But you know, her, like, I'm kidding around. I'm thankful to the Lord. Her brother, <laughs> but you know, you got, you got to deal with some things when you get married. You know what I mean? But I mean, excellent. I don't know how it happened, but her life is about enhancing and encouraging my spiritual walk. She's an amazing woman. I said, honey, am I fat? She said, honey, I'm here to encourage you. Keep your chins up. <laughs> She's a wonderful wife. I'm telling you. She's there to enhance me. She's there to encourage me. And in so many ways, I, I mean, I, I think about that. And what happened to the kings? They marry these pagan women. And what happens? They marry the pagan women for political alliances and say, you know what? We don't have to worry about the countries. But yet you marry a pagan woman. Guess what? She's going to turn your heart away from God. Solomon in the Bible is mentioned twice. He loved something. It says Solomon loved the Lord. That's a great thing. And it says Solomon loved foreign women. 
And Solomon's heart turned away from God. He says, watch the ungodly women. Watch the power and then watch this. Watch the wealth, the accumulation of wealth. It greatly increased in silver. The key word there is greatly. He greatly, nor shall he greatly increase in silver and gold for himself. The greed that comes in with the leadership position. Be very careful. And I'm here to tell you, move over Joel Osteen. Because he found 600000 in his church. We found 200 bucks in our church. Amen? <laughs> we were looking around and somebody accidentally left a VBS offering. So we have $200 we found while we were cleaning. Praise God. We got $200. He found 600000 Who cares about him? We got our 200 beans. But let me just tell you something. It's not the Joel Osteen's we have to worry about with this. It's the people that are really struggling to make it. That's where the temptation comes in to cut corners. I know of a pastor that was writing individual checks to people for $9,900. Having them cash it so he would get the money back. You know why he was doing that? They flag you at how much? 10000 So to avoid paying Social Security and federal tax, he was writing checks to people for $9,900. The temptation is there. It's sad. And we're seeing people fall left and right. We look at the Joel Osteens, but don't... Look, there's people all over that they're in that position and we got to be very careful. Wealth becomes our God. He says, don't greatly increase the silver and gold for himself. Because all these things, notice what all these things do. As they accumulate power and they accumulate women and they accumulate wealth, what does it all do? It turns their heart away from trusting in God and turns their heart to trusting in themselves. That's a dangerous place to be. Thinking, I got all the power I need, I'm fine. I got all the women I need, I'm fine. I got all the money I need, I'm fine. And we're not trusting in God. So how do we stop this? Here it is. And here's a great way to start 2022. And this is what I was going to title the message. Here's the way to start 2022. Here's the power for leadership. Are you ready? Saturate yourself in God's word. Watch this. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom. What does he need to do first? He sits on the throne of his kingdom. He shall write. Don't miss this. He shall write for himself a copy of this law. Now you say, why does he need to write? I mean, this is interesting. Couldn't he just read the copy of the law? No, write it down. This is very important because when we write something down, it seems to stick in our minds. But when we just sit there and just, oh, and just have our devotions and just, all right, and just read a couple of things and nothing, it doesn't seem to stick. But when we're there, stick, write it down. Now, this wasn't, write it down what? A copy of this law. Here's what's interesting. Some people say that he's just talking about this part of Deuteronomy 17. Some people say he's talking about the whole book of Deuteronomy. Anybody ever write the whole book of Deuteronomy out? Write the whole book out? Write it down. Write it down. Notice what it says here. It says the next thing, it shall be with him. This is personal. He's not writing it for somebody. It'll be amazed how often we go to the Bible for somebody else. And start reading our devotion and say, man, I'm so glad I read that. My cousin needs that. I'm going to give it to him today. When we need it. 
We write it for ourselves. It shall be with him. And watch this. He shall read it. How often? All the days of his life. All the days of his life. And here's what's important. He shall read it. The Hebrew word there is to like recite it or to say it out loud or to talk it. Somebody once said, I love this. If you really want to learn the Bible, talk about the Bible. When you're talking about the Bible, it's amazing how much you learn about the Bible. What do you think about this passage? What do you think about this? I'm reading my devotion in Genesis. What's going on here? It's amazing when we talk about the Bible. He said, he shall read it, not one day, not two days, not just on Sunday, not just on Saturday, all the days of his life. This is a personal walk with God. What is the most important thing we can ever do as leaders is walk with God every day of our lives. You say, what will that do, Jeremy? Give me some motivation because every new year I start off with my Bible plan in my hand, my Bible, but I just don't follow it. Well, you want some motivation? I'm going to give you some motivation right here in this text. He shall read it all the days of his life. Here's why. The first thing, when we read the Bible, when we are really studying the scriptures, when we have a great devotional life, guess what happens? We learn to fear the Lord. We learn to live a life that, you know what, God? I know this doesn't bring you pleasure. I don't want to do this. Help me not to live a life that displeases you, God. Help me to live a life that pleases you. We learn to fear God as we're reading the scriptures. It's amazing the things we learn he likes, the things he hates, the things he doesn't want, the things he, he wants. And as we're studying, reading the scriptures, the fear of the Lord starts to come into our hearts and we say, you know what? Oh, I better not go that route. I better not accumulate. I better not be about power. That doesn't please God. I better not be about marrying these pagan women. That, that doesn't please God. I better not be about money. That doesn't please God. I understand that. I want to live for God. Notice the next thing that happens. Your heart may not be lifted up above what? His countrymen. You know what the tendency is? Even in churches, it makes me sick sometimes to hear it. Pastor, I'm so glad I'm not like so-and-so. Well, look at their marriage. Well, look at their family. Well, look at this, what's going on. Look at the world. Look at this person. I read the news. Some idiot did this and some idiot did... Let me just tell you, that idiot could be you. Amen. And that idiot could be me. We are only who we are by the grace of God. And the more we read the scriptures, the less our hearts get lifted up. And the more we realize how gracious our God is to us. And the tendency is to get into a certain position and think that you're better than everyone else because you're there. And notice what it says. His heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen. The arrogance that comes, that people think that they're better than they are, we're not. We are who we are by God's grace and so we remain humble as we read the script. The scriptures put us in our place. And that's what we need. Notice the next thing. You may not turn aside from the commandment. You'll remain on the right path. God will keep us on the right path. It's amazing how much we want to stray. Our hearts want to stray. But we read the Bible. It brings us right back exactly to where God wants us to be. We won't turn to the left or to the right. Notice the last thing here. He may continue what? Long. 
You see, the Christian life is a race. But I'm here to tell you this. It's not a 100-yard dash. The Christian life is a marathon. It's a long path. And oftentimes there's bumps in the road and we limp sometimes. But let me just tell you, it is a long path. And if we're going to continue long, we need to stay close to God and saturate ourselves in the Bible. Or we won't endure. Some people say, well, you know what? I've made all kinds of mistakes. Well, let me just tell you two stories. John MacArthur went to Ireland 30-something years after his father went there. He shows up. He goes, you're a MacArthur. He goes, hey, a Jack MacArthur came here. Is that your dad? Yeah, that's my dad. He came here 30-something years ago. He preached and I got saved. The guy said to John, how's your father doing? He says, wow, my father's doing great. He's preaching and pastoring still. He says, your dad came with two other guys. How are they doing? John MacArthur goes, well, I hate to regret, to regret, I regret to tell you this, but one of them denied the faith. The other one died of alcoholism. This guy's, what in the world? And yet there's another story of a guy that went as a missionary as well. His name was David. And when he went to the mission field, he got there, his wife died. And he got so mad at God because his wife died. He came back. He gave the only kid that they had up to the family. He said, I don't want to be with my kid. I'm done with my kid. And he went off and lived his own life for years. She found him in his 70s on his deathbed. And she said, you know what, Dad? I want to tell you something. When you were preaching for that short time, somebody came to Christ. And this person now is leading thousands of people to Christ because of your ministry. The father, sitting in his deathbed, said, wow, I can't believe it. He started to get on fire for God. Nor did he know he only had six months to live. But he finished well. You see, it's not how we start. It's how we finish that matters to God. And we can start with all the right things and get all excited, but who cares if later on in life we don't finish right for God? We want to finish right for God. And we will never do that unless we have a strong relationship with his word. It starts there. He said, this is the procedure for kings. This is what they need to do. You make sure that they don't do this, this, and this, and this. And you make sure. Did Solomon listen to this? <laughs> Did David listen to this? Oh, we'll get there. Don't worry. We got We're just getting warmed up here. Did these people listen to this? No, they didn't listen. They failed in these areas. And guess what? They did not continue long. But the question is, are you failing in these areas? Am I failing in these areas? Am I saturating myself with God's word, not just to preach it, but for my own soul? Am I letting the word of the Lord help me to fear him? Help me to keep me humble and not think I'm better than anybody else? To help me to endure, because each day is a battle. Without that, we won't make it. I don't want to be one of these guys that you see today and gone tomorrow. I want to, by God's grace, be somebody at the end of my life could say, you know what? I fought the good fight. I finished the race. Amen. But I realize how weak I am. And you're weak too. And so we need His Word.
That doesn't encourage you to read the Bible this year. I don't know what will. I don't know what will. Maybe I'll jump up on my head and try to do something. I don't know what I'll do. This should encourage you to be all that God wants you to be. Let's pray. Father, as we look at the the procedure, Lord, for a king, we see that he needs to be someone that you choose. And I'm so thankful, God, that you don't look at the externals, the credentials. You look at the character. Thank you so much for that. And God, I pray that we would focus that on that too. That we wouldn't be worried about outward things. We'd really be concerned about our hearts because that's what matters before you. And so we pray for that. We pray, God, that we would be followers of you. And Lord, the traps that are out there in this world that have taken Christians down and people down and leaders down, the power trap of abusing power and those under their care and not really loving them and helping them to be all that you want them to be. The woman trap, the immorality, the being linked with people that really don't encourage and enhance our walk with you. People that turn our heart away from you. Oh God, I pray if there's anyone like that in our lives that we'd be willing to separate from them and say, no, I want to be with people who encourage and enhance my walk with you. And that, Father, the money trap, always trying to get a little more, a little more, a little more. And yet, Lord, a little more is never enough. And so, Father, help us not to pursue those things, but to really trust in you with our whole heart, soul, and mind. And God, I I think of your word, and I'm so thankful it's written, it's before us. We have it in so many different ways. We can listen to it on the radio. We can see it on our phones. We can have it on our computers. Everywhere we go, we can have the Bible. But does the Bible have us? Lord, I pray that this year would be different than all the other years, that we wouldn't just be going through the motions of reading the scriptures, but that we would stop, take time, and let the word speak to us. And change our hearts. And when we see that there's sin in our lives, God, give us the humility to change it. And to say, lead us in the right path. Because, Lord, we want to continue long. We know that this is not a hundred-yard dash. This is a marathon. So, God, help us, we pray. We love you and need you in Jesus' precious name and for his glory. Amen.